Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva. Another week, more things happening, some good things, some bad things, some really cool things. We'll be talking about that all in this episode. First to start off, though, is um, your boy finally decided to better himself. Your boy finally decided to do something that he desperately, desperately needed. He went out and bought himself a new chair on Amazon. That's right. I opened up the laptop. I went on Amazon, typed in office chair, found a chair that I desperately needed, bought it, and then put it together. And it's been one of the better purchases I've made in the past few months i'll be honest i'm in it right now sitting on the chair as i speak as i'm recording this episode and i gotta say it's been a week since i've had this chair and already i feel like my posture and my my time sitting in the chair has resulted in absolutely no pain whatsoever which is good because the old chair that i used to have didn't have that much lumbar support, that much lower back support, any type of support at all, really, if I'm being completely honest. It was not the most supportive chair, but it was something, you know, it was something I needed at my desk to sit on. And then that kind of, you know, evolved sometimes into just a plain old wooden chair without wheels, just a really cheap chair on certain occasions if I had to let somebody borrow my other chair. Sometimes I have to sit on that for a long period of time. That was god-awful, annoying, quite bad. And now I've evolved, and now I've gotten this new chair, which I, you know, sit on pretty much every time I'm at my desk. And it's been quite the purchase. You know, when you make a purchase in your life, and you're like, you know what, this was a good one. This is actually a good purchase. Because sometimes, you know, when you buy stuff on the fly, it isn't normally the best decision at the time. You ever go shopping, and you're just kind of walking around, and you see something that is kind of cool, but is like something you really, really don't need whatsoever, and you're like, well... I don't need this at all, but I kind of want to buy it. Like, for instance, I saw these um, TV lights, you know, the lights that go to the back of your TV, and they kind of, like, project the lighting from, like, whatever you're watching, whether it be a movie or a TV show or anything, really, and you just, like, it kind of goes along with what you're watching on the screen. And I've seen them at my friend's house, and I pass by them a few times at stores, and I'm like... You know what? Like, that could be actually kind of cool behind my TV. But I always pull myself back. I always pull myself in and remind myself that, you know what? As cool as it is, like, it's pretty cool to have that. I ain't gonna lie. I've seen it. Looks pretty cool. But that's absolutely, to me, unnecessary to purchase. And I always go back on that and I always... I'm just like, you know what? I don't need this. This would be silly and stupid. It's not for me. I'm not going to purchase it. I'm not going to buy it. It's I'm all right. And every time I walk away from that item and don't buy it, I feel that much stronger and that much in, in control about myself, about my spending habits and all that. I just feel like, oh, yes, I am in control. You will not, I will not buy that. Even though I kind of want it and it'd be kind of cool. It ain't for me. I ain't going to buy it. I almost bought a freaking ice chest a few weeks ago, like before the 4th of July. Because I was going to planning a get together with some friends. We're going to go meet up at my friend's house. And I was like, well, I do have an ice chest that works perfectly fine. But this one's newer and nicer. And I thought to myself that, but do I need it? Would it be a good purchase for me to 
buy this ice chest. I don't need it at all. Like whatsoever, this thing is not going to benefit anything. Like I do not need this ice chest at all. And I was actually kind of close by. I was like, you know what? This is new. The one I have is old. It looks old at least. It works fine, but it looks old and it's not as new as this one. And I actually did not end up buying it. Thank God. Now, as time passed, you know, you actually put your mind to into like what you want to buy. You actually get your brain involved. You don't get just your like your subconscious want, but you let your brain really take over your um, and let your brain really think about, well, is this the right decision? Is this the right purchase? At least in my opinion, and at least in my experience, it's always a no. It's always really a no when it comes to buying things. Not because I don't have the money to buy it, I do, but it's like, what are you going to do with it? Where are you going to put it? Are you actually going to set it up? Are you actually going to use it? Is it a good quality? If so, you better use it. If it's not bad, if it's not very good quality, do you expect to return it? You know, stuff like that. That just all kind of trickles into my brain because I feel like I need to make a smart purchase. And making dumb purchases, which I have done in the past, like I said last episode, with that silicone phone case. And other things back then, too. Like way, way back. I'm sure we all make pretty dumb purchases, right? We make purchases purchases that are just um, spontaneous, just like in the moment. We're like, oh yeah, let's go. Boom. And then you're like, what do I do with it? I don't know. We've all been there. We've all done that. It's not a good feeling. It definitely kind of is just like something that we don't want to associate and put that much time into thinking about because it's kind of like a a nagging thing. It's almost like anxiety, right? You do it, you buy whatever it is, and you're like, well, I better use this like a lot. If I don't, then this is bad. Like I recently have been getting into, um, well... Uh, the old Modern Warfare 2, you know, back in 2009. You know, since uh, Microsoft is pretty much going to acquire Activision, they've already gone into um, building up back the servers for the old Call of Duties, and one of them was the old Modern Warfare 2 2009 servers. So I fired it up with my friends, and voila, it worked perfectly fine. And it was actually really fun. To play that game with my friends because it was so nostalgic. Of course, everything is still the same. Of course, you know, the prestiging is the same. While the game works, there's still modded lobbies. I got into a modded lobby, got one kill. It leveled up all the way 100%, prestiged. And I was like, okay, well, this is still part of the game. Not that anybody really cares, but, you know, it's part of the game now. Which is pretty cool. I mean, if you think about it, it's like... This game was dead and gone. And because Microsoft is all about preserving games, you know, with Game Pass and all that stuff, backwards compatibility, you know, your games, you play them whenever you want, essentially. Them doing that to the old Call of Duties was pretty freaking cool. I'll be honest. I didn't, you know, since I owned the game, all I had to do was just re download it, reinstall it, and then fired it up. And I was like, all right, let's get it. Try to do the same thing, though, with um, Advanced Warfare. My friend, he was a big fan of Advanced Warfare when it came out back in 2014. I never really touched it. I never touched it, actually, at all. And uh, decided to download it because he said it was really fun. It was really cool. It was about $19. You know, it was about a 50 gigabyte update. It wasn't too bad. Downloaded the game. Fired it up. Looked cool, looked awesome, you know, didn't play any campaign, just went straight to, you know, multiplayer. Started multiplayer, game wouldn't load. Game kept crashing, crashing, not crashing, but just would not load the multiplayer at all whatsoever. I was pissed. Couldn't believe it. My brother got it as well. He installed it, same shit, didn't install. He was pissed. I was like, yo, bro, to my friend, like, yo, what's going on? 
How does yours work, but mine does not? Frustrated. And you know what? I was like, you know, I this whole phase right now that I'm going through with the old Call of Duties, it might be over soon. So I decided to get a refund. So I refunded the game, $19, got it back. I was like, okay, that's cool. I'm okay with that. You know, as long as I can get my money back, I'm cool. You know, I, it was, but it was worth a shot. You know, I've never played that game in my entire life. Never, never spent any time playing it. No achievements, no time, you know, documented in servers that I played the game. Gave it a shot. Didn't work. And kind of weird, though, but unfortunate, but, you know, weird. It didn't make any sense. I did not know why it wouldn't work for me. And my brother, but my friend, perfectly fine. It's like, damn, that kind of sucks. You know, thank God that there is a return system in real life, like in a store, you go to a store, you know, you bring a receipt back within a certain amount of time, you can return the item. And I didn't even know that you could return digital games at all. Because when I bought it, I was like, oh, dude, I hate you. You pissed me off. You made me buy. We didn't make me, but you influenced me to buy a game. And unfortunately, that game did not work. Now I'm pissed off. I need to be pissed off at somebody. So I'll admit, I kind of, you know, put the blame on him a little too much than I should have because it wasn't his fault at all. But I was like, well, who am I going to blame? I can't blame myself. I mean, he did influence me to buy it, and I did buy it, so I guess I'm in the situation. But, like I said, thank God for returns. I was able to return it, get my money back, uninstall the game. I'm all right. I'm cool. Now, if imagine if we didn't live in a world where we can do that, and that that'd be pretty crazy. I imagine that people who... Um, who wanted, who, the companies who sell these items to the stores that also sell the items to actual customers, I wonder whose decision and who actually allowed the ability for people to return items, essentially giving their money back to the customer. Like, who who decided that? Because whoever did had to have gone against the entire core, their entire philosophy on getting money, if you know, as a business, right? And just say, and just foregoing that, and 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 putting the customers, you know, needs in front of them getting money. That's very like, you think about that right now. There ain't a whole lot of companies that are you know customer first. I mean, they all say that they are, and they are. Let's be honest. Everyone can return everything. But I'm sure when this was brought up, you know, like some kind of meeting, like, like hey, we got to give the customers an option so they can return their items that they're not happy with. You know, give us a little bit of a standard to work towards to make better products, to serve customers better so they'll keep coming back and they'll keep buying from us. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was the one thing that businesses were like, you know what, we could sell people these things every day for the rest of our lives. But if we don't get the customers to come back and for people to spread the word about our service, about what we provide, about our return policies, about what we're able to do, exchanges, you name it, we ain't going to have much people that come and buy our stuff. You know what I'm saying? So, the the be developing the return policy for everything that's ever existed in buying shit was pretty, had to have been a far-fetched idea in a position where people are just like, we need money, we need money, we need money, we need more money. You know? That's crazy. I bet you, like, the companies probably hate it. When you gotta return something, when you return something, they probably want you to forget your receipt, to forget the 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 dates between you can return it or not. I'm probably hoping and praying that 
please don't return, please don't return, you you forgot your receipt, you lost it, whatever, it's destroyed. Oh, too bad, I can't return. They must be praying that something like that happens because could you imagine, could you imagine if they had, if they did not have a system where you could return stuff? Would we be so accustomed to being like, oh, yeah, I bought it, well, sorry, I guess I'll throw it away. Or like, what do you do? You know, like, what do you do? It's truly something that you think about of how society and business is done, specifically in this country. And you're like, well, how did they even get to that point? How did they get to where we are now, where it seems fine? Is it surely just based on the population, the, how many people that come and shop somewhere or how that come and buy certain things that they just kind of feel like, you know, we'll sell so much and we'll probably return a few and it won't be that big of a ding on our profit and we'll be okay. And maybe we will, uh, uh, you know, be just fine. We'll be able to make the, the, the profits that we need in order to survive. And that'll be it. You know, it's it's uh, something that you don't think about at all. But it's something that definitely exists and definitely something that people, um, that they talked about quite a bit. It's kind of like what, um, it's um, currently something that's happening. You know, money talks, money issues, not having money, people in this uh, profession that are not being paid properly, according to them, the writers, the actors, and the writers and actors strike that is going on, that is still going on today, and really does not have an end in sight, doesn't seem like, and, you know, people are really up in the air, I mean, I'm, I am no actor, I'm no writer, but I am kind of concerned about like how long will this go? Will we, we will we be out of content, at least scripted content for a while? I imagine that this is really no way where end in sight. Now I haven't really spoken on the writer's strike or the actor strike really at all on this on this podcast because I don't really know what it it, it, it is about. What, what they're striking for until today. So I used my brain, and I actually Googled why are actors and writers on strike. And this is what Google is saying to me. So if you have a problem with what I'm saying to you, talk to Google about it. Among other demands, actors on strike are calling for increased pay and rethinking of residuals which union members say has significantly diminished amid the rise of streaming services. Residuals are financial compensation paid out to actors whenever TV shows or movies they've appeared in are replayed. Now, of course, that was for the actors. The writers, I'm pretty sure, it's similar as well. Probably not as, you know, like this, like residuals, because writers typically don't appear in content like movies and TV, or even like, um, I guess reality would that count too? Scripted talk shows that might be scripted as well. I'm not too sure, but you know, let's just talk about the actors one because this is a kind of a big one that you know. Let's be honest, we don't go to the movies to to watch a film that is produced or is put on by this executive. We just don't. We go to watch, you know, the actor that is in the movie. Sometimes a writer who wrote the movie because we're fans of their work. But mainly we go to see the performers and how they make the movie good or bad, how it is, right? They, you go into a movie, you go into a TV show, all you see on the screen, characters that are depicted by actors. You know, it's been 
It's been a thing of entertainment since, like, what, the early 1900s, maybe even before that, motion pictures, whenever they were developed, right? They've been getting paid to do this. This is called, you know, a lot of people say that this is, uh, um, that they're just actors. But, you know, being an actor is a lot of hard work. I imagine that these people go through a lot of training, stresses, you know, not very secure, not very sure about the security of their their job, you know, having to go from job to job, essentially to pay their bills, to pay whatever they have to do, and also doing whatever, what they love to do, which is being, being an actor, you know, playing the part, playing in movies and TV. That's why they do it, because they enjoy it, and if they're able to do something that they enjoy as a paying job, well, you've pretty much struck gold there. You know, why would you not want to be paid the right amount that you, you know, that you deserve? And, you know, the the little Google snippet mentioned uh, streaming services and mentioned uh, residuals. You know, residuals that it says is financial compensation paid out to actors whenever TV shows or movies that have appeared are replayed. So let's think about that, right? If... Netflix has this show that was, let's say, let's say the show is The Witcher, right? Henry Cavill sounds like, well, from what this is being, what's being said here is that Henry Cavill will be paid this amount of money every time that the show is replayed. Now, when you're talking about streaming services, that I'm pretty sure that has to apply to that because it's still being replayed. Now, it's not like it's network TV or cable TV where there's a time slot. Back in the day, when you would see like a movie appear on TNT or TBS, you knew or you were kind of told by people that that knew things about business that, that that person is getting paid this amount of money every time that movie gets played. Kind of like how... You know, I heard that about commercials. When commercials replay, that actor in that commercial gets paid so much money every time it gets played. And kind of like, you know, that's pretty much the same thing. And with streaming services, you know, and how they work, it's very tricky. It's very strange because you can play it whenever you want. So what counts as a replay? That, that definition alone does not really, you know... It, 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 it's weird because it doesn't really, not necessarily, describe how that implies to streaming services. And now that there's so many goddamn streaming services now, how does that apply to all of them? With all the shows, because not every streaming service has, you know, shows that, that are theirs, right? Netflix has Seinfeld. Seinfeld is not Netflix's show. They're paying to license um, net, um, Seinfeld on Netflix. And now that it's not your show and you're airing it there, it's being replayed, how does that go into the actor's pocket as well? And they're striking because they're not getting paid properly because of for, from the residuals. Well, maybe they're not getting paid because not many people are subscribed to these streaming services. I've I've... Um, talked about this in the past of how all these streaming services work and actually how much money the, that these um, these companies are making and if they're ma- even making enough to pay for these um, residuals. Sounds like they're not making quite enough at all, if you think about it. I mean, I've broken it down in the past. It, let's what, 20 bucks for Netflix, right? 20 bucks, I pay like 20 bucks for Netflix, and I get like five profiles. It's not as simple as five people paying for Netflix when you have a, a, a Netflix account that can go up to five profiles, because then that just means one person is paying for it. When they probably think that, you know, you do a survey, like I said before, how many people have Netflix? Yay, family of five, raise their hand. Now, how many people of you, how many of you pay for Netflix? One person of the five. So there you go. You know, that's a simple kind of, you know, breakdown of how, you know what? These numbers are probably really fudged up. They're not making any sense. Nothing is, it's not really adding up. So now 
they're probably saying like, okay, well, we probably can't pay y'all that much now because we're not making as much money as we thought that we were. And let's be honest, the way that the way that things have been going on recently with streaming services and there not being a ton of, you know, I don't want to say like that that these platforms don't have any content. It's not true, especially original content. It's not true. But it you know, there's not really much of anything at the moment that's like really grabbing audiences in terms of TV show out there right now besides like The Bear on Hulu, but at the moment, I can't really think of anything that like a show that's really sweeping the nation at the moment. If I'm being completely honest, I'm not sure if there is one. And, you know, that could be scary. That could be scary for these streaming services who rely on their subscribers to keep them afloat, to keep these um, these shows in production. Also probably having to license their own content out just so they can pay for certain stuff. Like I remember I told you guys about, you know, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, was considering licensing out their own Disney stuff to other platforms just to get money, you know, just to make money, which is a, uh, you know, it's definitely a possibility because, well, how are you going to make all this, you know, how are you going to pay everybody who's on that platform and all the productions that have been going on about that? You know, I don't know. I just, I'm no businessman, truly am not, but there's something that's just not right here. Do these platforms even generate that much money are we even, are we gonna get like like a actual reveal of like the, these companies earnings because like if we don't understand like where they're at financially and like if they have to prove that let's say they have to prove it right and it shows that they're way down way down than we thought and it's it's like proven it's out there that they have like so much less money than anybody thought. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that now, now, they have to they'll have to make cuts at that point, which means less TV shows, less movies, lesser budgets, maybe lesser uh, actors, not as many high caliber actors, um, less budgets, less time to make these things, less promotion. Could you imagine that? If the fabric, if the if the curtain is pulled on all of these companies, and you really see how much they have and how much they're working with, you'd probably be surprised and you think to yourself, like, how does any of this business get done? How do they even fund any of this? Because what I'm seeing is they have literally nothing, and they somehow, you know, continue to make out, just pump out movies left and right, and not good ones, by the way. I've given you my thoughts on a lot of the movies I've seen in the past few weeks. They haven't been that great. So where, what do we do? What is the next step? Well, I think what you have to do, this is not going to be, and I'm no financial advisor, I'm not an expert on money, but I do think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to come with a cost for sure. I think you try to your best to, to get a common ground with the actors, with the writers, cut out that AI bullshit. I know that you think that yeah, that it's a good thing, but it's not. It's totally inhumane. You're cutting jobs. This is not the American way. You should not use artificial intelligence when it comes to like making movies and shit. Voice acting too. I've heard of that too. That voice actors are in real trouble, especially with AI because. AI has been proven to make voices, you know, pretty damn accurate, and it's not cool because that means they're going to be put out of work. They'll have no job. It'll be pretty. It'll be pretty strange. So I think what Hollywood's got to do, these big time production companies, these streaming streaming services, got to do is pony up and be like, yo, we got this much money. This is all we got. All right, we got to figure out a way to get y'all paid as much as possible. You know, and because you do all the work, but people come to see you, the actors, the directors, the writers, the creatives, you know, no one really gives a shit 
on what it took to produce the film, right? No one cares if this executive was able to do something, right? And you know what? That's not entirely true either because they all help make the process. They help it. They help it all out too. It's all a, a crazy, crazy intertwining business that seems like it's about to it's about to collapse. If I'm being honest. And like I said, the recent duds at the box office don't help it out either. Like if if Hollywood is not making money, then there's going to be some. You're going to see some repercussions. Some some. Um, I mean, it's just like you can't expect to see rough patches after you don't make any money, right? Happens with you all the time, right? With people all the time. You know, you don't make as much as in your paycheck. You can't afford to go do things, right? It's just like that. It's just now that that this business is so, you know, about making movies, about making entertainment, now that they're on strike, you know, wanting to get paid more, that's going to also affect everything else as well. Like, I've heard that this strike is, you know, could possibly delay the release of some films. I think I heard, like, one of them that might be delayed was Aquaman 2, which apparently I've heard is doing some some extensive, extensive reshoots to the film. So, like, they probably don't even have the film ready at all to, to be seen by the public. So that's going to get pushed back and delayed. I also heard that Dune Part 2 might get delayed. I hope that's not the case because that movie's already completed and shot. But then again, the writers are on strike. So the writers are not going to be able to promote the movie. There'll be no press. There'll be no uh, press screenings. There'll be no interviews. There'll, there'll be no red carpets because everybody's on strike. So, like, what is the actual point, right, to promoting the movie? I mean, of course I want to see it. I really want to see it. But I also want to see... The people who were involved in the movie, you know, enjoy promoting it because they enjoyed what they made because it took a lot of hard work to make what they did. And a project like Dune, you know, in my opinion, is like a, 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 monu- a monumental task. And with the first film, in my opinion, was just a monumental achievement that they had a fun time promoting. And then people loved the film and people were raving about the movie, including myself. And I was like, you know what? This is beautiful. This is like beautiful humans working together, people working together to, for a common goal and putting in the good work and putting out a good product that people like and people want to see over and over again and that people want more of. That's why we got part two. That's why part two is coming out later this year, hopefully, hopefully. Um, but, you know, this whole thing, if it gets drawn out for this long, you know, we don't really know if there's going to be an end in sight What's going to happen? What is the future of the, the movie business? Does massive budgets just get slashed because... Or movies' budgets get slashed because they just don't have the money to do it anymore? I don't know. Especially when you see movies that bomb like Indiana Jones, The Flash, um, Fast X. Um, what else? What other movie that bombed really hard? Um... um Ant-Man, Shazam, all these movies that have big, big-ass budgets, big marketing, big promotion, and make no money back. It's like, maybe you gotta, maybe we really need to step up the, step up our work in terms of making a good film, a good movie experience, along with good, uh, you know, of course, good marketing. You, you need you need some marketing. I know that word of mouth is the best, but when it's first brought out, you you need at least a pretty good marketing campaign. At least pretty good. Maybe not go over the top, but you know something. You know something that you're feeling feeling confident about. But most of all, you gotta get make good shit. You gotta make good shit. The Flash, even though I liked it, for a lot of people it was bad shit. It wasn't good. Indiana Jones was not good. That was some dog shit. Okay? So, maybe boost the quality. Cut the budgets and focus on the writing and maybe not the CGI. Okay? Make it more practical. Go that route. I just saw Oppenheimer. There was no CGI in that film, according to Christopher Nolan, which I kind of believe him. But I saw it. I couldn't really tell if there was CGI or not. Unless the effects were that good. The practical effects in that were that good. 
But like seriously, maybe don't focus so much on the CGI and all that stuff and just focus on the quality of the story. Is it going to sit well with people? Are people going to like this? Do people want to see this? Kind of read the room. What are people talking about? What is? What do people want to see? What are people... I'm not saying like, you know, try to assume what they want to see or, or think that think like them too much that it's like reading your mind, but like, you know, kind of just what do people want to see? What is, I don't want to see like, say like what's trendy, but because, you know, any good story that works is going to make money. It's just a fact. So now moving on though, to good movies, to actual good movies. We got rid of the strike, we're over the, over the strike. It is still, people are still striking, writers and actors. We hope that that gets settled quickly, please. Um, I saw two movies this weekend. Two movies. Normally, I don't do that. Normally, normally there's one big movie out every weekend. This year, this weekend in particular, this last weekend in particular, was a special one. However... Barbie, along with Oppenheimer, both came out on the same exact day. You know, Christopher Nolan versus Greta Gerwig, big movies. One of them didn't think that was going to be one of, you know, both movies, if we can really, like, look at them, are big, but not what people would associate what big means today. I think what people think today when it's a big movie is like a big franchise. Now, of course, Barbie's a franchise, but Barbie's never made a movie before. So this is kind of a, you know, a tryout. Let's see, let's see what Barbie's got, you know. And Oppenheimer is also a big movie by a big filmmaker that makes incredible films that has built up his reputation. Mainly, you know, probably because, you know... He directed the Batman, the Dark Knight trilogy, which is phenomenal, except for Dark Knight Rises. But also, he has a lot of other projects that he's done that have been all pretty much original ideas. Interstellar, Inception, Dunkirk, Tenet, Oppenheimer, um, Memento. So he's done a lot of good films, really good films, that have pretty much grasped at least the pe- the moviegoers of the United States. Like, we can all kind of, like, look around and be like, who is just a director that makes baller movies that we, people just want to go see? You know, probably, like, the big three, like, working American, not big three, three, but, like, the big film directors of this country in the United States are probably Quentin Tarantino, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Christopher Nolan that are working today that just bring in droves just because it is a quote-unquote Christopher Nolan film, right? That's why I go see these films because I've seen his films. I love his films, and I want to keep seeing the rest of the more and more of his films. Now, Barbie was a different story because the attraction for me to Barbie was like, how are they going to make a doll into a feature film with actors and a story. You know, you got Margot Robbie, who plays Barbie, which is fantastic. You got Ryan Gosling, who plays Ken, which is also fantastic. How's this going to work? How would any of this work? Barbie's a doll. There are dolls that are Barbies. She's real now. How is this going to work? And I'm going to tell you about it in this review of Barbie. Now, I wasn't expecting much because I didn't know what to expect. I thought the trailers were pretty cool. I thought Margot looked great. Ken looked pretty good as Ken. You know, the Barbie land in the trailers looks, you know, pretty good. You know, I don't, I've never played with a Barbie in my life, but I, I would imagine if you were to ask a girl who's played with Barbies... They would probably tell you that that was pretty accurate. A pretty accurate and fair um, depiction of Barbie's house, Barbie's castle, Barbie's dream house, whatever you want to call it, right? 
I'm pretty sure they would be like, yep, that was accurate. That was spot on. They did a good job with the production design. And that's, you know, the first thing I have to say is that the production design of this movie is pretty damn good. It captures the absolute just essence of it being a toy, you know, a toy dream Barbie land. And it was just very pink and fun to look at and very colorful, very bright. And it was just it, everybody was playing the part well and everyone was like interacting with the world. Great. You believe that these people were in this world like, oh, yeah, this is Barbie land. This is cool. This is fun. Like, hey, what a good idea. For a theme park, right? Barbie Land. Why don't turn Barbie Land into a theme park? That'd be pretty cool. Um, and everyone, everything was cool about it. And it was like always sunny and bright. Like I said, colorful. It was cool. And you get into the story. Why Barbie, you know, goes into the real world. And why Barbie questions, you know, herself as Barbie. And it's actually a pretty cool story. You know, it's pretty fun. It's like almost like a like a fish out of water type thing in certain situations. It's very funny in that sense when Barbie and Ken go off to the real world and they have their little shenanigans going around and trying to get back to the real world and tell them all about the human world and how it works. And this is where I think that you can be like, well, Barbie is good. Barbie is great. Margot Robbie is plays her very well. Looks like her in everything. Great. But I have to say that I'm not a giant fan at all of Ryan Gosling. But he played Ken so funny, so good, so entertaining. Like, the dude was just spot on with everything that he's done in that film. It was so funny. Playing Ken the way he did was beautiful. Like, you can just pick out so many parts of the movie and be like, that's me. That's how I feel. That's funny. That's relatable. That's this. That's that. It's just so good. It's it's very memeable. It, it's quotable. It's like, dude, this guy is owning this role of Ken. And let's be honest. You don't really think of Ken when you think of Barbie. You know, in, in real life, right? As, you know, like Barbie, the Barbie doll, the, the doll for girls, right? You don't really think of Ken. You just think of Barbie. Like, I for, I kind of forgot that Ken was even a thing until I saw the Barbie trailer. I'm like, oh, yeah. Wait, Ken? For real? Like, Barbie's boyfriend? Doll? Okay. I, I forgot that Ken actually existed, you know? But, you know, the movie's funny. It's one of the funnier movies that I that I've seen this year. You know, not just Ryan Gosling, but Will Ferrell as well is just funny as hell in this movie. And, you know, me going into it blindly, you know, I didn't see it opening day. I didn't really read anything about it up until I saw it. But I was seeing some things on the internet and people telling me, you know, just like, you know, just, you know, socializing out there that that the movie's pretty political. That was a thing that was kind of being a... That was being mentioned online and tweets and some people told me this. And it was just like, they were saying that it was political. And I'm saying like, huh, okay, well, I'll have to see for myself on how political it is. Because they were just saying like, it's political, dude. The movie's political. So I went and watched it. And I'm going to try not to spoil it as much as possible. But it might be a little hard in terms of like trying to siphon whether the movie is like political or not and the movie isn't really political at all the movie has a giant theme of the roles of men and women and what how men and women interact and you know the 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 corporate life the personal life the the romantic life different eras and different lives how men and women interact with one another and it's pretty much that to that like that's like pretty much like the most I guess I guess if you want to say political even though to me it's more social than political like how wit how guys act around women you know that are their boyfriends or how boyfriends act around their girlfriends or how 
you know, men act around women, women act around men, just kind of like that, like the, the, the interaction between men and women, between both genders, right, it's just more like that, and it doesn't take itself seriously, all the stuff that they discuss about it, all the things that they complain, and somewhat defend, somewhat um, attack, it's all done through, like, comedy and satire, which I thought was very, very funny. I mean, there's a part where, like, Ken does, like, the ultimate guy things, the ultimate guy things, and is so into this guy persona of, like, patriarchy and stuff, and it's so damn funny because it's so blown over the top that you can't help but laugh, like, girls and guys were laughing at because it's it's kind of true but it's a it's a nice it's a dramatization and an over exaggeration of the situation it's like yeah we all can kind of relate to that that's that's how stupid we are that's how dumb we act sometimes and everybody in that theater was just chuckling and laughing about it i was like oh i mean like i certainly was not some loser online that was like offended by this movie at all like i took i walked away from that being like that was pretty fucking funny like it was pretty damn funny it was enjoyable it was funny the 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 comedy was actually timed so well not just like you know you know um, speech comedy like what they're saying is funny but physical comedy as well between ken barbie will ferrell all these guys, like, it was just, it was funny, it just was, and I, I didn't take it to be political, really, at all, it was just social, and just social interactions between men and women, and how we can all be very, very, you know, over the top at multiple times, you know, with each other, we all can do that, and it was just like, yeah, this is just kind of a joke at, like, relationships, a joke at, how we interact as a human, as a species, like, this is beautiful, it, it was just so much fun to watch, and very funny, the story is, you know, can get kind of sappy sometimes, there's a really preachy part in the movie that was kind of, you know, a little, little cringy, it was all right, it wasn't like, it didn't really need to be that long, you know, maybe kind of use some comedic elements into it, but everything else was pretty, like, it was pretty good, it was pretty funny, it was not bad at all, I didn't think it was, political I, I didn't feel attacked as a dude i just thought everything everyone was just laughing at over the over a top satire satirical comedy that was in the movie and you know what i really liked it i really 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 liked it so at the end of the day i don't think i spoiled anything thank god um but i'm going to give and i saw i already put this on twitter so if you follow me on twitter you already know the score I give Barbie an 8 out of 10. Pretty damn good movie. Pretty damn good movie. Very enjoyable. Very fun to watch. There isn't... It's rated PG-13. It isn't... There isn't much language as is as cursing. There is a few, like, innuendos. Maybe a little bit of a inappropriate stuff for kids. First of all, I don't know why people think this movie's for kids. Does, is PG-13 mean kids can see it now? Like, first of all, parents, I've seen people complain about this online. I thought this was a kid's movie. When the fuck was PG-13 for kids? Let's be honest. I mean, these parents today suck. Get it together. You know what PG-13 means. Have you seen Transformers? 2007? Come on. Come on. That's PG-13 as well. So is Barbie. Get it together. I thought that was just so, so infuriating how people were just like, oh, I thought this was supposed to be for kids. <laughs> Get out of here. Come on. Movie number two, though. Oppenheimer. Now, like I said in before, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. I love his movies. I love his movies, and I'm willing to tell you that he has done some movies, in my opinion, that are not very good. Dark Knight Rises and Tenet. I didn't really care for those movies, and I've been on record saying that I'm not a big fan of those movies, really at all. I think Dark Knight Rises is, he dropped the ball in that film, 
It's kind of cheesy, kind of stupid. Doesn't really. It's not that good. Tenet, I don't think is good really at all. I mean, it's, it looks cool. It's shot pretty cool. The, the The concept is just so confusing that I don't care to learn about it. And with this, when I was going into my knowledge of J. Robert Oppenheimer was that he made the atomic bomb. And that was it. And going into this, I was also aware that Christopher Nolan in his past five movies, I would say, four or five movies, he's had a little bit of a weird way to mix his films. I, I heard this really a lot with uh, Tenet. The movie is like very loud when there's like a lot of action happening a lot of like other sounds that are just like in your ear that don't need to be there and it kind of muffles and just distorts dialogue that's being said. I could safely say that this movie has toned that back so much. So much, thank God. There's probably about like 10 words throughout the entire film that had this effect because it was kind of loud and it was a little hard to hear. Maybe 10 words. In Tenet, it was like so many lines of dialogue that I could not keep track of. And it happened quite frequently. So I'm happy to tell you if you had that issue with any other Christopher Nolan films since The Dark Knight Rises, that is immensely toned down in this film, in my opinion. So when I saw that, when I finally saw Tenet, completed it, I was like, oh, thank God. Thank God it wasn't like trying to hear these guys talk in Tenet, because woof. That would have been terrible. But now to get down to the actual story of the movie, J. Robert Oppenheimer, the guy who created the atomic bomb. There is probably have been so many drafts to tell this story, which is based on a book called American Prometheus, which is what Oppenheimer is based on. To tell the story of Oppenheimer and how this all came out to be, him creating the atomic bomb for us Americans to use on the Japanese in World War II. There's probably drafts everywhere. Of a boring-ass movie. I can tell you this. This was one of the most exhilarating three hours of storytelling that I have seen in a very, very long time. Exhilarating storytelling that I have seen in a long time. I'm, I'm I'm talking about like people talking about stuff that is so important to every aspect of what he does in this film... Oppenheimer that is and his choices and how he you know gets in the shit with certain people how he you know the the troubles of creating the bomb itself the repercussions of the bomb the guilt that he experiences after they detonate the bomb the way that's depicted in this movie and how the court hearings the testimonies everything that was going on in this movie that had to do with Oppenheimer and the bomb the repercussions, the aftermath, the reaction, the guilt was done so beautifully by Christopher Nolan and then by the writers and directors and editors. It was one of the most exhilarating three hours of my life. The movie, for me, flew by. I didn't want to... There is like no part in this movie for me that drug or that dragged, that did not move well, it was like, go, 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 here, there, here, there, this happens, and this happens, because this happened, now this happens, because that couldn't happen, now this. it was like, it was amazing, the movie was actually beautiful storytelling, and it was all done through the dialogue, and the set pieces, and the confrontations between the perform- the performers, like, everybody in this movie acted their ass off everybody the performances by Killian Murphy Emily Blunt Florence Pugh Josh Hartnett is in this film Robert Downey Jr. 
Oh my God. And, um, I'm forgetting people for sure, but you know, everybody in this movie, everyone is incredible. Killian Murphy should win the Oscar because he is brilliant as Oppenheimer. He he's fantastic. I, I can't I could not believe how good he was, but he was. And it it was it, for me, dude, honestly, if I'm being honest, like that's one of the best movies I've seen in a long, long time. In years. Like the movie has an incredible pace an incredible way to tell the story, an incredible way of shooting it uh, with the music and the combination of all that and how it just doesn't stop. It's tense. It's beautiful. It is kind of scary at some points. It is loud. It's soft. It's quiet. It's intimate. It's, it's just like it makes you really feel the emotion of what Oppenheimer went through in this entire process from beginning to middle and after. the, And that doesn't happen without Killian Murphy, I think. Killian Murphy is one of those actors, I think, in my opinion, that has the ability to convey, convey so much by his eyes. Like, his look of, like, guilt and regret and, like, what the hell did I just do? What did I just make? And there's a scene after it's confirmed that they dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And holy hell. Like, the performance by him is just like, it's haunting. The way they depict it and everything that, that goes, like, you can, like, tell, like, his brain is just, like, Oh my god, like the the most anxiety inducing thing of the, the regret. You can like see, physically see the regret and the guilt on his face. Like, what have I done? What have I done? And it's conveyed so well by Killian Murphy. Like, dude, give him the Oscar. Because I, I the whole time I was like, give this guy the Oscar. This is incredible. I, I can't. I cannot picture anybody doing this better than Killian Murphy. And I cannot picture anyone making this movie better than Christopher Nolan. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. I can't. I can't. I think that movie's perfect. I think that movie's beyond perfect, actually. I think Oppenheimer is probably my second favorite Christopher Nolan film behind The Dark Knight. And I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about this a lot. I've seen a lot of his movies. I've seen a lot of his films. I think that Oppenheimer might, might be his best film. It's a toss-up, though. It's a toss-up. It's it's a toss-up because I still think that Dunkirk might be, might be his best film. But damn, Oppenheimer was pretty much incredible from start to finish, like incredible. Like, it's it's really, it was hard for me to not look at that screen. You know how sometimes you might, like, kind of doze off a little bit? You might kind of get distracted. I did not feel that whatsoever with this movie. I was hooked from beginning to end. Like, there is no part in this film for me that drags. Everything is interesting. Everything is just told so beautifully. And just, like, told to, like, it's just, like, it's so compelling. And everything about it is just so... Like, you want to know what happens. You need to know everything that happens. You know, all of his, you know, what he was involved in, what he was going through. It's like, shoot, dude. Like, this is incredible storytelling. It might be his best, man. It might be. It's a toss-up for me. It, it, it actually, it could possibly be his best film that he's ever done. And um, what a crazy subject to do it on. The guy who created the atomic bomb. who, Which, when I heard the news that he was going to make a movie about the making of the atomic bomb, I was like, huh? I was also thinking, like, how is this going to work? Because it's kind of, I mean, it's not like it's like interstellar where there's this crazy concept and traveling through space. It's not like it's Dunkirk where it's like a, 
you know, an event with a spectacle and like events happening. It's not like it's like Tenet where it's like mind bending, like Inception kind of. It's like it's like a you can't really do your own spin on it. You got to kind of do it how it is. And it's based off the the book American Prometheus. It's like how much are you going to you know change things? You're gonna dramatize things. Like I didn't really. I I, I yeah. I know this is probably gonna be a bigger topic after people see the movie, but I don't know how accurate it is. I don't know like how accurate the film is to what actually happened. I'm gonna be honest with you. I did not do much research after this. I don't know if the movie got things wrong, if the movie got things somewhat right and not completely right. I'm not too sure. All I know is, man, I love this movie. And at the moment right now, this is the best movie of the year. And I think without question of what's come out so far, this right now is the best film of the year. And this might win Christopher Nolan his Oscar. It might actually do it. So... Without further ado, time to score this film. Time to give it a score. Now, if you haven't seen my Twitter review, this is going to be a shocker, but maybe not a shocker. I've done this with a few films, a few films that kind of, you know, leave an impact on me, leave a leave leave me some desire, leave me to be like think about that film, about that experience that I've that I've just gone through. Not many have done that. Not in the past year, I think. I don't think I gave out this score at all last year, I'll be honest. I could be wrong. I know I gave it up back in 2021. But here it goes. All right. Oppenheimer review, 11 out of 10. Sorry. I had to do it. I know you guys hate when I do that, but I just think that Oppenheimer leaves so much is so juicy of a film, like, just so packed full of stuff it, it, as a movie, like, it's got spectacle, it has performances, it has storytelling, it's got events, that it's got drama, adrenaline, it has so much in this movie that is three hours long, that does not feel like three hours, by the way, it goes, goes, and goes, and I was saying, like, this is, might be a little dangerous, are they gonna try to cram too much in here, is it going to be too stuffed, is it going to be, is it not going to be able to convey the, the information of the story properly, no, no, it was perfect in my opinion, fantastic, 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 if you have the opportunity, right, if you have the chance, please, for the love of Christ, see this movie in IMAX, I already told my parents, like, you, you have to see this, like, this is phenomenal, this movie is phenomenal. I could not stop thinking about it after I saw it, dude. After I saw it, I was just like, oh my god. I just got like the mic drop of, I'm going to make a film. Boom. Mic drop. That's my film. That was it. And it was so good to go back to the theater this weekend and see two good movies. Ugh. You know, sadly... We might not get another movie review for a while because there's not many good films that are coming out that I want to see that are coming out uh, coming up uh, recently. So this might be the last one for a while. So take it for what it is. I'm gl I'm happy that this movie did uh, it, it was amazing. I'm happy that it's making money. If you haven't seen it, go see Oppenheimer. It's incredible. Support Christopher Nolan, support the writers, support the actors that made this film because it was truly, truly phenomenal, truly phenomenal, and I guess I'll say this, if you are a person who is going to go see this film for Josh Peck, who is in the film, by the way, I might have to say, lower your expectations for what he is, what he does in this film, should I say what happens? It's not spoilery at all, but uh, I'll say it, I guess. He only says three words in the entire film. So just, just to let you know, if you're going to go see this film just for, just for Josh Peck, maybe dampen your expectations a bit because he only says three words. 
besides that, the film's amazing. The film's fantastic. Um, anyways, that's going to be it. Um, thank you for listening, people. Uh, thank you for listening and thank you for watching. Remember, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube at Intelligent Moron with Alex Silva. This podcast drops every Thursday morning. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, do all that good stuff. And yeah, thank you for listening and thank you for watching. And I will see you guys next week.